This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this program known as The Takeout. You know why you're here. Politics, policy, a little bit of pop culture. However you find this show, Thank you for finding us. You can find it lots of different ways, as you well know, podcast platforms, more than 70 great radio stations across our country, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, Paramount Plus, and of course, our streaming digital service, CBS News. However you're finding us, welcome. It's great to have you with us. So today is going to be all about education, covid and all related issues in the classroom. And we have an excellent guest to help us navigate that fascinating, important, sometimes fractious conversation. Becky Pringle is the president of the National Education Association. Becky, it's great to have you with us at The Takeout. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you, Major. So, folks, as you well know, veterans of this program, we sometimes record it a little bit earlier in the week than other times. We're recording this on October 5th. So just as last week when we had the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, some things may be overtaken by events, but maybe not. So, Becky, I know that NEA has a lot of interest in whatever happens to build back better. It is the topic Washington, at least in Democratic circles and possibly larger than that, is consumed with right now. From the NEA's perspective, what's at stake for your organization, public school teachers around the country? What do you want Democrats to do? So I'm not just calling on Democrats to do what's right for our students. Um, I'm calling on all elected leaders to do that. I think you know, Major, that um, the members of the NEA, the three million members, the largest labor union in this country, worked really, really hard, really hard to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris last, last fall. And we did that because we had the opportunity to talk with them and share the uh, concerns and the ideas that actually helped to develop their, their, their policies. And so when uh, President Biden put forward the Build Back, his Build Back Better agenda, you could see in that agenda the things that educators have been calling been calling for 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 years. That is investment in our public schools. Uh, finally, finally addressing the infrastructure issues that, of course, we saw highlighted right during COVID when we could not possibly repair all the all the HVAC systems that were put in or that put in 50 years ago, some longer than that. And so 
the Build Back Better agenda addresses that and it gets to the heart of the inequities, not only in the education system, um, major, but all the systems that impact our students' ability to learn, housing, healthcare, um, um, food insecurity, all those kinds of things that we know our students need. So we are working really, really hard, not only with Democrats to keep pushing for the Build Back Better agenda, but calling out Republicans and anyone else who doesn't support our students. Right. But you know, Democrats are tied in knots right now. Republicans have taken themselves out of that conversation by their own volition. So this is a democratic conversation. And you have, to simplify it, some segment of moderates on one side who want infrastructure and are not totally sold on Build Back Better. Progressives, so-called, want to make sure Build Back Better is a guaranteed thing, not just a notion. That's why they won't give up votes for infrastructure. What should they do? I really am encouraged by the president, first of all. Uh, we've heard him uh, talk about the issues over the last couple of days and, and assure the American public that he stands by his agenda because he knows that it will make the lives of our, of our working families, our communities, our, our kids better. And so he stands by that. I applaud the Democratic leadership in that they are working hard to find some kind of resolution and they're not um, uh, accepting an artificial timeline to do that. Uh, so they need, they're, st- they're still working. They're still uh, engaging with folks. And what we're doing, and I, I hear you, I hear you, Major. You're absolutely right. They're tied, they've tied, they're tied in knots. But here's the thing. Whether or not the Republicans pulled themselves out of it or not, they have a responsibility too. And I don't ever, we're never going to walk away from that, ever, because they have a responsibility. So our three million members are not only contacting Democratic senators and members uh, of Congress, but they are talking with Republican senators and members of Congress too because they have been elected to, uh, to, to uh, do what's right for our kids as well. So I just want to be clear about that that we are not backing off or letting, allowing them to just take themselves out like they have no responsibility. They do. Is failure an option for Democrats with these two bills? We are depending on, on Democrats, all elected leaders to stand up in this moment. You know, ooh, this has been something, right? These 18 months of this pandemic. And I know we'll talk more about that, but one of the things that educators all over the country have been doing in their in their classrooms and work sites and what we're calling on honestly major everyone to do is to think about you know what what opportunities we can create from the horror that is covid-19 and the pandemic and all of the crises it's spawned it's not just the pan- pandemic um, and so here's the thing we have been talking about um, disinvestment in public schools for decades, for decades, and we weren't getting people to understand what that really meant and that it would bring us to this tipping point. Uh, we've been talking about the inequities that are built into the education system based on race, based on economics, based on um, social, social status, all of those things that impact our students' ability to learn. And so we have an opportunity in this moment, now that that light is shining, you know, what, like, like I know you, last, last April when people were like, oh my, look what's happening, you know, look, inequities, kids don't have access to the internet. Oh, we've been talking about that for years. What, thank, welcome, 
welcome to the discussion. Um, but uh, for me, as, as an educator, it gives us that opportunity to, to uh, now that we've grabbed their attention, to actually do something about it. And so we're going to continue to push and fight, Major, to include, to make sure uh, whatever bill is passed in whatever way includes the things that our kids need, that our families need, that our communities need. And I'll let you go after this question. If you were to try to explain to those on Capitol Hill trying to sort this out what the real world effect at the grassroots level among those who care about this would be if they failed, what would you tell them? I would tell them to listen to our educators, listen to our parents, listen to our students, our students themselves. They will tell the real stories of what failure would look like that in this moment, when we know we have to do more to address the academic, social, emotional needs of our students, we must have those resources. We finally must take this opportunity to invest in our public schools and in our communities. And their responsibility in this moment is to step up and do just that. So when the number shrinks from 3.5 trillion to 2 trillion, I hear you saying, not our agenda. I absolutely believe that the $3.5 trillion that is proposed in that plan, honestly, it's just a drop in the bucket. Can I just say that um, for all of the decades of disinvestment? But that is at least um, uh, paves a, a, a pathway to begin to get at what this, this society, what our communities need. And so we absolutely will continue to fight for that $3.5 trillion. But you already know Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association. The president, as recently as yesterday, we're meeting October 4th on a Zoom call with progressives, said it's probably going to be around 2.1 trillion, not 3.5 anymore. He's already he's already bargained that down. So, you know, um, I've been at this a long time and I know not to negotiate against myself. Right. So um, I'm going to continue to do that and lay out because the question is, what are you not going to do for our students? What, what are you going to take out? And those are the kinds of questions I will continue to push um, until this until it's done. So that's where I am and that's where I will stay, regardless of folks pulling back and saying, oh, we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that. I have to continue through my through educators all over this country to, to shine the light on what it will mean for them and their students when we do not when we do not step up to all of the things that we know must be in that Build Back Better agenda. That is the voice of Becky Pringle. She is the president of the National Education Association. Stay tuned for segment two of The Takeout in just one moment. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500. 
That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association, is our guest. And as Becky mentioned, she's an educator. Tell my audience what, how long you've been an educator. Becky, what's a little bit about your background? Oh, my. Major, I taught middle-level learners the wonders of science for over 30 years. That's right. There is a special place in heaven for me. It's been promised, um, but uh, it was a joy of my life going into class every day, not knowing whether I was going to have a student who um, uh, wanted to, to, to grab and hold and hug me or whether they wanted to be distanced from me. Um, and those folks in your listening audience who have had Middle schoolers, um, as part of their family during those three years, they know exactly what I mean. Um, uh, but they uh, brought so much joy into my life as they had those wide eyes of curiosity around everything in their world that was touched by science. Um, which, by the way, can I just say, it hurts my heart that there are people who don't believe in science. Can I just say that? But that's another conversation, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll get to it, I promise you. Uh, and you did this in the Philadelphia region or Philadelphia proper, is that right? I, I was born and raised in Philly. I'm a Philly mm -hmm. girl um, and started teaching in Philly. Um, and then my husband took me kicking and screaming to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, our state capital. Right. And those of you who have been to um, Philadelphia and Harrisburg, you know what I mean. Um, but that's actually major where I raised my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also where I got active in the union. Excellent. So uh, in that middle school time of being a teacher, when I think back on my public education in San Diego, California, those middle school, we called it junior high school where I was in school, 7th, 8th, and ninth was my three years in junior high school. Those were the most important transition years of my public school academic life, coming out of elementary school and getting into high school. Things that happened pro and con in those 7th, 8th, and ninth grade years, whereas I look back on it, absolutely pivotal for the rest of my life. Was that your experience? Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why we actually redesigned many of our many of our junior high schools um, back in the late 80s. The, um, uh, there was a Carnegie report that said exactly what you just said, that we need to pay special attention to our middle level learners and we need to redesign our schools um, and 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 re reeducate our educators, too, and administrators about the very, very special learning needs of adolescents and um, how they grow and how, you know, the brain science behind that and, and how they um, progress and develop. And so I actually was a, I had the, for, uh, the, the, the great fortune major my role as a local president at the time to help uh, to collaborate with the superintendent in my school district to redesign and change our junior high school into a middle school to address those very unique um, uh, social emotional needs of our students that actually, uh, and that's when we start, first started talking about that, that it actually is, is that social and emotional learning that propels the academic learning. And so we redesigned the schools. We went back to schools ourselves and learned more about middle level learners. You're right. It is such a critical time. And we needed to make sure that we were doing everything to prepare those students at that moment to take on those, ne those next levels of learning and leadership. 
So, Becky, I'll tell you a story. I've never told this audience before. We're five years into the show. But the reason I'm a journalist is what happened to me when I was in eighth grade. Because in seventh grade, I was an absolute whiz in algebra, and I couldn't care less about English or history or literature. Got into eighth grade. I got an A-plus in pre-algebra. Took algebra, thinking I would roll over it. I got a D. Everything about mathematics completely escaped me. It's like a switch went off in my brain, and I stopped being proficient in math at any level. And suddenly, what filled in that was this hunger that came out of nowhere for history, literature, and writing. That switch flipped in my head in eighth grade. And I'm a reporter and a journalist and a writer because of it. I flat out. That's what happened. Wow. <laughs> Lots of transitions happen. You know that. In those middle level level years, I, I, I have to believe, given uh, what you've accomplished, that there were people in your life, um, yep. both educators as, as well as in your family, who supported that through you supported you through that shock, which I'm sure that was a shock for you, right? <laughs> when you're always excelling, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? My math teachers were mystified and suddenly I was paying attention in English class and history class. And you know, the 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 teachers that got me were receptive. The teachers that lost me were like, well, good luck. Um, <laughs> But this goes to the next level of our conversation, which is all about the things that COVID brought to the classroom. And one of the things I first want to talk to you about is this emotional health of children and what suffered while trying to learn online and the imperative to have children back in the classroom. Work with that for me, if you will. Right. So, you know, from the very beginning of the pandemic, I have been so consistent and I haven't changed that. Um, I've said, you know, we need to follow the science because who raise your hand if you've been through a pandemic and know something about it. No, everyone showed up like, you know, we need to do this and we should do that. We need to follow the science. We need to listen to the infectious disease experts. And then we need to work with educators who are making, who are making it work for our kids and making decisions about how they'll learn uh, to make sure that we do the very, very best, whether for them, whether, whether it was remote or hybrid, which whoever knew that word before this year, right? Or asynchronous. I mean, these are words that came into being in these last 18 months. Um, uh, or whether it was in person. And, and um, there's a story that got lost last year that many of our schools actually opened for in-person learning in the fall of 2020 and stayed open the entire year. And there's not enough research that has been done to understand how they were able to do it um, and how they continue to do it. But what they did is what I said. They followed the science. They listened to the infectious disease experts at the national level, but in their areas. Uh, and then they pulled the educators together and worked with the parents. And they made really solid decisions that allowed their kids to come back to stay as they learn more information about how to prevent the spread of the, of the virus. They, they put those uh, mitigation factors in place. When they needed to um, quarantine, they did it, but then they were able to bring them back quickly. Um, and so they stayed open all year. And there's, there's so much more to unpack about that, honestly, especially with this Delta variant uh, wreaking havoc right now. We still have lessons to learn. Um, and so we've been saying from the beginning, of course, in-person learning is the best uh, not just for the emo social and emotional uh, realities, but also for the academic um, uh, learning of our students. And so we tried really hard as best we could, but we, you know, we have to keep our students safe. That's number one. Um, and then address those, those issues. And so we fought really hard for the ARP funding to, to, 
uh, put in place American our, Rescue Plan. Yes, I'm right. sorry. Yes, <laughs> um, to put in place those mitigation strategies, um, we've learned a lot. Oh my goodness, about how to teach more effectively remotely. Some of which, by the way, Major, we're going to actually bring forward because some of those strategies work for some of our students. But I was with um, uh, some educators last week in in Iowa. And one of the things they were so surprised by is that social component when the when the students came back, that um, uh, that some of them had been back to in person learning, some of them had not. But when they all came back, that they the, the teachers had to actually stop and um, reteach how to work with each other, um, group norms, and how to be together. It, they were quite shocked about it. They what what they told me was the students who were youngest and hadn't experienced school for very long, they had to spend a little more time. Uh, for the older students, they had to engage in it in a different way. So our educators are learning new tools um, because again- which goes, to this, which goes to this observation that it's more than book learning. There is a lot absolutely. more that goes on in a classroom, emotionally and from an interaction point of view. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I will add this too, and I referenced this before. What we also know now, um, uh, more now, and not just now, we've learned this before, is the, the brain science behind learning. So it's not only the, 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 the gaps that the pandemic has caused in, in, in terms of meeting the social and emotional needs of our students, um, but when we started working in the spring, uh, talking about, how, okay, what are we going to do to accelerate learning so that if there are gaps, the academic gaps and otherwise, what do we, how can we accelerate that learning? So we talked about additional time after school, summer school, and all those things, but, but we needed more. And so as we looked into, you know, how do students learn? that when we understand what excites the brain and, and actually accelerates the learning, it is the integration major. It's the integration of the social and emotional learning into the academic learning. We now know music. I, you, you saw me when your music came on, right? right. right. <laughs> I love music. It, and it excites the brain, right? Thinking right. about how we're going to bring that forward so that we can meet all, bridge all of those gaps and meet the needs of our students. And it's one of the things we do here at The Takeout. We excite the brain. I'm Major Garrett. Becky Pringle is our special guest. Back for segment three in just one second. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association, is our special guest. Becky, if uh, my listeners or viewers were to Google your name and National Education Association, they would come across a deck of headlines that said that your organization was really influential in pressuring the White House to lean on the CDC to clarify language about masks and social distancing in classrooms. I want to give you an opportunity to address that because some of them suggest that was undue influence and putting your thumb on that scientific scale, if you will, as to, as opposed to letting the science dictate the policy. I, as I've said so many times, have been absolutely consistent. Follow the science, 
listen to the infectious disease experts and work with educators. So let's talk about that last piece. Um, uh, there is no way that people who are not in um, working with students, whether in person or remotely, who are not closest to those students, whether remote or in person, and our communities who um, uh, know better what it is they need. It was absolutely essential for us as educators. Everywhere I traveled or when I talked to educators throughout the pandemic, the first thing they said to me was, we want to be back with our students. How can we do that? What can you do to, so that we can be back with our students? And so what can we do? We can fight to make sure that every mitigation strategy is in place. And so that's why we fight, fought for the funding. We fought to make sure that educators were prioritizing vaccinations so that they could, because uh, our students at the time couldn't be vaccinated. And so we wanted to make sure that they had adults who were safe in front of them and with them. Uh, we wanted to make sure that all of those things were in place and that we had clear guidance. As we learned more, one of the things the CDC um, did, and I, I did actually um, call for, is additional research. Because initially, um, you may remember in, in the early phases of the research of um, bringing students back to in-person learning, that it was based on rural areas, smaller groups of kids. It didn't, it didn't take into account denser areas in our larger populated urban areas. And so I called for that additional um, research and to continue to do the research. Because the more we research, the more information we have, then the, the better decisions we will make. And it's absolutely essential that we have that information, the evidence, the clear guidance. And so what I continue to call and will continue to call on that clear guidance. Right now, Major, I'm calling for clear or guidance from the CDC on, on, on things like um, quarantine times. What do we know now about, because the Delta variant is, is, is showing up in a different way, right? So what do we now know so we have better guidance on that so we can try to minis minimize the disruptions and the chaos that too often happens when we are not giving clear guidance um, about the science, about from the infectious disease experts, about the continuing evolution of the impact of the virus on our kids in particular, which is extraordinarily troubling, um, right. and within the communities. And so you're proud of those emails to the White House and the advocacy behind them? We will always advocate for what is right for our students and what's right for our educators, always. And we will not stop because who better to talk about our students than our educators, our parents, our, the students themselves, by the way, uh, Major, wh whose voices aren't always heard in this discussion, but I have had the opportunity to talk with them as well. And they want to make sure that they are in person, in school, and they want to be safe. And how do vaccines for teachers, meaning educators, school support staff, and students fall into that equation? We know that vaccines are the number one um, uh, top, honestly, uh, mitigation factor in terms of people staying um, safe and keeping our, our school environment safe. We know that the vaccines are effective. Uh, in ensuring that folks or ensuring that folks don't, if they do get COVID, they don't get sick, they're not hospitalized, they're not dying. We know that. We have all of that evidence. And so it's why, as I said, we fought to make sure um, educators were vaccinated. And you know what, uh, Major, we 90% of our educators are, fact, uh, are vaccinated, and we're very proud of that number. Um, but we know, and we've always believed, you know, I, I still have 
literally, I still have my son's vaccination record. It's hard and a copy in my important papers. Um, uh, he's 41 years old. Mm-hmm. We right. have always believed in vaccinations. This is no different. We are waiting. And, though, and those were mandated should the COVID vaccine be mandated. Just like other vaccinations, we believe that, and I've always believed, that school environments are safest when everyone is vaccinated against these infectious diseases. COVID is no different. It's one of the reasons why, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a mandate, vaccine mandate, as though that's something we hadn't done before. We required vaccines for kids to be in school, uh, for educators to be in those in those environments. This is not new. Requiring vaccinations for measles, mumps, and rubella, uh, MMR, I mean, not new. Now, what is new is this novel coronavirus, right? So we are continuing to get the science behind it, and and ultimately the F. FDA is providing that that final approval, and we need the time to make sure that that's safe for students. Um, but just like with other vaccines, that that time will happen. And when it does, we need to make sure that it's added to the list of vaccinations that are required for students to go to school. I don't need to tell you, Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association, that school board meetings have gotten increasingly volatile, tense, loud, angry, divisive. So much so that as of last evening, again, we're recording this on October 5th. So on October 4th, there was an email that went out from the Justice Department saying he was going to work with the FBI and other organizations, state, local, and federal, to look into ways into which school board meetings can be more civil, less volatile. And there's this idea, now at the federal level, that they're a dangerous place uh, for this conversation. What does that tell you? Well, um, you know, I, first of all, let me say that the- You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. So first of all, let me say that the NEA uh, stands with the National School Boards Association in calling for the federal government to do whatever they can to stop the violence that is going on um, in in the school board. Not, and by the way, Major, it's not just the school board um, meetings. We have some people coming into our schools, punching teachers, spitting on on uh, school administrators because of mask mandates, because, uh, you know, masks, which we know we have evidence after 18 months that they actually save lives. It is absolutely unacceptable. This this culture uh, that is that exists and seems to seems to be permeating um, many aspects of our society uh, right now. Uh, of of stoking fear and um, uh, raising civil civil discourse to a level where we're threatening, um, booing, uh, treating people with disrespect, people who have dedicated their lives to educating America's students. And by the way, not a lot of people know this, but we have many educators who have stepped up to serve on school boards. Many retired educators who have done that, they wanted to continue, continue their service. Now, you know, it, it, it's painful to watch those scenes where they're being screamed at because they're trying to take measures to keep students safe, all students safe. It really is unacceptable. And we join uh, the school boards and everyone else in calling for the federal government to do whatever they can and local government. We're not taking it out of anyone's. Everyone should be stepping up and protecting those people who have made the decision to step up to this level of service for our students. What's your biggest fear in this regard, Becky Pringle? 
biggest fear, honestly, is that the majority, because we don't hear about them. We don't hear about the majority of community members, the majority of parents, um, the majority of, of school board members who are stepping up in this moment, who want us to do all we can to keep their baby safe that we don't hear about them. They are the majority, by the way. We only see these contentious meetings, um, these horror shows where people and their families are being threatened. And so I fear that the American public will believe that is what all parents think, or that's what all communities, that's happening in all communities. It is not, that is not what's happening. Um, and so, um, I, I, and we are working within um, the NEA, our members, we're, we're uh, working with our members and our, our um, allies and our parents to lift up their voices, to make sure they are heard so that this minority is not getting all of the airtime and stoking that fear because, you know, this is what I'm worried about. I'm worried about educators leaving the profession and that's very real and it's happening. I'm worried about that our students in college right now not going into the profession. I'm worried about school board members not running for re-election. Those who have dedicated are dedicated to upholding the principles of our democracy through public education, um, and it that's my biggest fear. That's the voice of Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment four of the takeout in just one second. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. And for those of you watching on CBS News, our digital streaming platform, and on Paramount Plus, uh, welcome to my dining room. You know, we've done the show here quite a bit during lockdown. We've taken it out on the road, as you well know, to do restaurants and other things. We'll do a little bit of hybridization of that, sometimes here, sometimes on the road in restaurants, when the opportunity presents itself. Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association, is our guest this week. So, Becky, another topic that you well know have made sometimes school board meetings contentious, unrelated to COVID-19 or the Delta variant, is the teaching of our history in this country in terms of race. Some people describe everything as critical race theory when it isn't. Some people use it as a moniker to describe any conversation about race, but you know it has roiled school board meetings. It has become contentious in terms of what the curriculum is or isn't. There's a body of thought that parents became suddenly aware of this when they were listening in on their children's Zoom education and like, what is that? What are, what are kids learning? I'm upset about it. I'm fearful about that. What is the NEA's position on this core issue of race inequities in our country and the history behind them. Oh, Major, you you um, uh, are e exactly uh, right that these uh, conversations have grown to a place where uh, they shouldn't be, where politicians are stoking fears about, you know, agendas being pushed, uh, that um, our educators um, all of this country are being attacked 
by um, uh, those who have another agenda to push. But here's the reality. We know how important it is for us as educators to teach the whole history of this country. We know that our students are depending on us to provide that information for them so that they can, can develop the, um, so they have the information as they develop their critical thinking skills, their problem solving skills, because the reality is that our students, our students are the ones who will be the leaders of a, of a just society. And so any effort to keep our teachers uh, from teaching um, about the full history of this country, the shared stories of confronting injustice um, in, in the past and, and, and in, in currently, um, uh, to help our students be prepared to build that more perfect union, we are going to fight against any effort to stop that because we know that these bills, some of these bills and the discussions behind them In are, 20 different states, some are laws, right. some are bills, but 20 states are trying to limit this approach to curriculum. Right. And we know that it's just a way to try to cover up the failures of, of, of the lack of investment in, in, our, in our public schools. We are not going to uh, just stand by and, and uh, teach an incomplete or inaccurate history of, of this country. We know that that is what our students uh, expect from us. We know that that's the only way they're going to have the skills to understand these really complex problems uh, that our society continues to grapple with and that they'll have the opportunity to actually um, create these collective solutions to, to these problems. Um, that includes absolutely teaching about the greatness of this country. You know, um, Major, my dad was a was a history teacher, and when you said that you, all of a sudden you made that switch to loving English and history, I kind of was smiling because I was like, "Oh, my dad is smiling," um, uh, because history that's absolutely essential, um, and there we need to make sure that our students know uh, those times when uh, uh, that that reflect the greatness of this country, and and they also need to know those times when we have fallen short, that when that you know that poetry of our Constitution that says. We the people, we the people, when we have fallen short and it has not been all of us. We have to continue to work to build that more perfect union. And it is our students who uh, deserve better. They depend on, depend on us to provide that space for them to have those really um, uh, important discussions. And uh, we will continue to provide that. And let me just say one last thing about curriculum. You know, we do a lot of work. Um, we, you know, uh, there are some people, you'll be surprised by this major. There are some people who believe that because they went to school, they know everything that needs to needs to be known. Um, and, and it is such a show of disrespect for us as education professionals. We go to school and continue to learn about uh, the development of students, the, you know, as we talked about before, the, the development of adolescents and understanding uh, what needs to be in a curriculum that will actually help them not only prepare for that next level of learning, but also prepare for what will come uh, for, for, for them to live into their brilliance, to take those next steps in their lives. And so we spend a lot of time making uh, educational decisions about what that needs to be. And so we will continue to uh, to come to teach the complete history of this country because we know that's what our students need and what they expect. So let me try to put a point on this. There's legislation that has passed in Texas 
that says a school teacher can describe slavery and segregation, but must say they are deviations from the origins of our country. And there are those who would say, no, they're sort of baked into the original problems of our country, and we've had to live with all that, meaning there is something systemic or systematic about not only what happened at the beginning, but how they flowed through our American life. Without oversimplifying things, where do you fall on that side of the equation? We all know that um, the institution of slavery had an impact not only when it was the law of the land, but we know the impact that it continues to have, not not only um, in our public schools, but in every single social system in this country. And for us to actually take those steps that as a society we need to take, we have to understand that. We have to have the skills, the tools, the knowledge to unpack it in a way that we can have those, those complex conversations so that we can find those solutions. And for us to walk away from, to turn on back on, to whitewash what happened is not, is not the way to do that. And we know um, that we must take that on. And we know that our students can. We should, so many of the people involved in this discussion, I don't even want to call it a debate. Maybe I shouldn't even call it a discussion. Yelling, um, lobbying, um, uh, um, accusations. Um, um, don't give our students enough credit. They're quite extraordinary. All of them are quite extraordinary. And they want to be able to wrestle with these, these issues because they they have articulated what they want their society to look like. They want to be the leaders of a just society. They want to make it better. And by the way, that's every generation's responsibility, right? To make it better. And they want to lean into that challenge. Students ahead of the adults. It's happened before. Maybe it's happening <laughs> again. I'm Major Garrett Becky Pringle, President of the National Education Association, has been our special guest for our radio audience. We need to say farewell. But for those on the podcast platform and on CBS News and Paramount Plus, stay with us for the Takeout Outtake Especial. And if you're curious about this, folks, yes, algebra, geometry, trigonometry, all still a mystery to me. We'll see you next week. Bye. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. For those of you watching on CBS News, our digital streaming platform, and Paramount Plus, again, welcome to my dining room. Our special guest, Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association. Becky, this is kind of the fun and game segment of our conversation. It's a little bit lighter, just a tad. So I want to start off with our three threshold questions. We've done almost 250 episodes of this program, all of them original. That's quite a track record. Folks, when we have that 250th episode, trust me, I'll let you know when that happens because it's going to be a big deal. Uh, so, Becky, we've asked this 
these three questions to every single one of our guests, and our audience loves the answer because it lets them know a little bit about who's been talking to them for the better part of an hour. So take these questions in whichever order you prefer. Uh, most influential book in your life or the one of the most influential books in your life, your all-time favorite movie, and if you're going to enjoy some music, I mean really enjoy some music, long flight, long drive, what kind of music, artist or genre are you most likely to listen to? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, as you could see, every time you played the same music with the introduction, I could I can't <laughs> I can't stay still. I love music. It just is, it feeds my soul. Um, uh, and, but I, there's not one because it depends. This morning I'm listening to jazz. I love jazz. Uh, calms me down. Um, but of course, my number one would be R&B. Um, uh, a little Stevie Wonder, a little, um, yeah, um, Aretha Franklin. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, uh, yeah, on Sunday, I'm listening to gospel. <laughs> gospel. Very good. Very good. Uh, All-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies? So one of my favorite movies was Space Camp. Do you remember Space Camp? Did you watch it? That's a while ago. Because, I, I, you know, I don't want to be too, you know, geek. But it's Space Camp, so there's that. I mean, the idea that these kids got to go into space um, because they just were going to camp. Oh, my God. But it was the first time, you know, where they, as for me anyway, as a young person, um, saw women really being stepping up into roles of of actually piloting the ship. I don't know if you remember this, piloting the ship. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. and, um, and, and then, uh, one of the black students, uh, actually being, uh, the weight of his responsibility, whether he was going to blow up the ship or whether we're going to blow up the ship by which wire he was going to cut. And he wasn't believing in himself. And then they were like, we believe in you. And they did not blow up. It was fabulous. I loved it. Space camp. <laughs> Here, I thought you were going to say Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No. I mean, <laughs> You're hilarious. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, influential book in your life. Oh, my God. You know, uh, when I was in college uh, 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 over years ago, um, no new business. Um, but um, I, it was during a time, tumultuous time, during the uh, uh, mm -hmm. early 70s. And um, uh, I took a lot of uh, courses on Black Studies. And one of the first books that really had an impact on my thinking and, and calling, honestly, was The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, and even though that was written, at, you know, early 1900s, you know, the, 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 just talking about race and racism in that time period and seeing the connection to me as, as I was in the throes of the civil rights movement was was quite extraordinary and had such such a great impact. Um, but I and I would say the most recent book like that was is Tanahishi Goat's book Between the World and Me. If you haven't read mm -hmm. it yet, everyone needs to read it. Um, as well as Democracy and Change by uh, Nancy McLean. Um, uh, I highly recommend both of those books um, uh, as, you, as we all wrestle with uh, where we are in our society now and how we can work together to make it better. So I was playing a little bit with the Fast Times at Ridgemont High reference. Is that your favorite? No, no. <laughs> no. Network is my favorite movie. It's the greatest movie ever made because it's the only movie that accurately predicted the future. Not approximated. It accurately predicted the future. Isn't that um, Yeah. That was so, a great one. Uh, yeah, it's a great one. Uh, great ensemble cast. Phenomenal writing. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because I love movies a lot. People in this audience know that. And I ask lawyers on this show all the time. And I ask 
those in law enforcement, which movies get your profession right or wrong best? And I want to ask you, is there a movie about educators that you thought got it really right? Wow. So can I tell you that when I was in school, a te- teaching every day, I would it was like a ritual, like right in August, I would play all the movies, starting with To Serve With Love. You know, mm-hmm. I play them all. An absolute you know. classic. An absolute Not only a great song, but a phenomenal movie. Right, right, right. Phenomenal yeah. movie. Um, and up to the most recent, because we always had, you know, a hero teacher that, you know, Stand and deliver. my captain, right. my captain, or um, Mr. Holland's opus, or, you know, um, uh, uh, Dangerous Minds, all of them, you know, it, it, re- it inspired me because I, yes, I'm going to start school and I'm going to be. But, but the challenge with that is that it portrays our career as though you, ha- you alone have to be that heroic teacher. And if you alone are that heroic teacher, um, then everything will be fine. You will solve all the problems of the social injustices and, and, and all of it. You'll do it all because you're, but I tell you, I would have my tissues, right? I'd be crying because they're great, right? Um, uh, but, um, uh, but they, that's not what we can't think about public education that way or even teaching. Um, uh, we can't be, by, we have to work in collaboration with each other. One of the things I learned is that I can't only be concerned with the kids inside the confines of my classroom. As an educator, it was my professional responsibility, honestly, major, my moral obligation to be concerned about the students outside of my class. It's classroom. It's honestly what got me involved in a union um, and, and, and took me where, where I am today. Um, but so, so movies tend to, tend to like reduce them in a way um, that it, it oversimplifies it. So um, I think I, maybe that's my next calling. Maybe I need to write a movie. That's what I'm thinking. Um, that you. reflects all of, of what we um, not only do, uh, but the shared responsibility, all of us, not only educators, but everyone in the system to say, when we say all students will be successful, we mean all students. And it will it will take all of us to make that happen. You write the movie, I'll buy the ticket. Becky Pringle, I, she is the president of the National Education Association, been our special guest. Becky, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, Ranger. It's been great to be here. We'll see you next week, folks. That's it. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.